And I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 down to verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 9. And we will remain standing in prayer after I read. Verse 4, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we're so grateful again for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for those that, are, that have uh, assembled on the property here. Thank you for those that are joining us online. And uh, thank you, Lord, for answered prayer. And thank you for every challenge, every need that you allow in our life that reminds us that without you we can do nothing and that we are not sufficient and of ourselves. Lord, help us, teach us to be daily dependent upon you. We ask your blessing now upon the scriptures as we look at the word, as we consider people and our, our relationship with the people in our lives. And uh, Father, we pray that you would bless us and help us as we go out representing Christ to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we ask your blessing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning again. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Last Sunday, we, uh, well, we've been talking about people. Not gossiping, we've been talking about people. Um, and we are, last Sunday, I had hoped and planned and thought that I was going to do it all in one message uh, as we dealt with toxic people. But I, I, there was so much, and I wanted to continue it into, into um, today. Now next Sunday, we're still going to talk about people, but next Sunday, we're going to talk about a different kind of people. Hmm, who should I preach on next Sunday? I don't know, maybe moms. Are, are you blessed by your mother, whether she's with you or not? Uh, I, what a blessing to have moms. And I'm grateful that my mom is still with us, and my mother-in-law is still with us. And um, Anyway, so today we're going to continue um, talking about people. You know, people that study people, you ever hear of them? Sociologists. They, um, they have something to offer us, especially if their observations are analyzed in light of Scripture. For example, years ago there was a study done, a very extensive study, uh, on marriage. And a, they ended up producing a couple books with their scientific 
findings. And uh, one of the books was called Fighting for Your Marriage. And, um, and here's, here's a blurb that, because this is, this is scientists, sociologists, studying marriage and learning something. So here's what they put in that. Why do some couples divorce and others do not? And why, among those who remain married, are some happy and some miserable? A study of several hundred couples over several decades yielded the information that was presented. And so they studied people, husbands, wives, very extensively, and they learned that there's certain things that people do, maybe without even realizing it, that ends up being very toxic or harsh and and Several, you know, damaging relationships, and then there's other things that people do, and it seems that when people do that in their relationship, they end up having very happy marriages. And in this study, uh, they it says in our research, we have found that confidence in marriage is related to such factors as commitment to your partner, friendship with your partner, fewer nasty arguments with your partner, and having fun with your partner. That makes sense, doesn't it? They also found that there were certain things that they they ended up calling them um, relational germs. Three things they found that when these germs, because every, every couple has conflict. And in a relationship, there were three things that kept popping up during conflict. It's not that, you know, people that stay together don't have any conflict. You know, happy marriages don't have any conflict. People get divorced to have conflict. Everybody has conflict. But conflict can be a doorway to deeper intimacy. But there were three what they call relational germs that seemed to destroy marriages. Uh, and I'll just, it was avoidance, belittling, and escalation. And by the way, I used some of that research sifted through the scriptures when I did a series on communication a couple years ago. Now, in the same way, People who study people have also noticed that there are certain people in every family, there just seems to be, you know, that they're they're so prevalent that there are certain people that are toxic to relationships. And um, those are people that are, are manipulative. These are terms that they have studied and found. In fact, the word toxic is one that sociologists have used. Um, and, and we're going to look at some of the studies that they've done, some of the tactics. In fact, today we're talking about toxic people, but we're talking a couple tactics that toxic people use. And, you know, if you sift these things through the Scriptures, the Bible definitely says that there are people that can be problems. The word avoid, the word withdraw, the word reject, these are actual scripture verses that talk about, you know, there's certain people we need to mark and, and stay away from them because they are not going to help our relationship with the Lord. And, and these are people, again, they call them toxic. And, and by the way, all these techniques that we're looking at, they're all new labels. But one of the things we learn from scripture is that man has not changed. You know, they have new terms like gaslighting, which has nothing to do with gas lamps, which is what I thought. But, you know, they've got all these new techniques. And we're going to look at a couple of them because these are things that sociologists have studied and said, okay, people that are manipulative tend to do this. 
So when we go through this today, and we, we began last Sunday, first you're probably, it's, it's so much easier to say, oh, I know someone like that. But we also want to just step back and say, could this be me? You know, it's not as easy to do that, is it? You know, could this be me? And so we're going to look at that. Um, again, all these terms are really recent terms, but it's interesting that we're going to look at just three of them, and, and they're all in the scriptures, not by name like that. But here's some of the other ones. Some of them are, some of these um, techniques of manipulative people are things that we're not surprised by, name-calling, smear campaigns, guilt-tripping, lying, flattery. I mean, these are all things that manipulative people use, and they're all abundant in scriptures, aren't they? I mean, you just go through Proverbs, and you can learn all those things. And then they have some more that seem to come to the top. Some, they have weird names, like gaslighting. Uh, Here's one, weaponized incompetence. You ever hear that? We're not going to look at that one today. Projection. The other one, we did look at this last week, love bombing. Now here's, we're going to look at three, if we have time, we're going to look at three today. The one that keeps coming up over and over again, and by the way, these things just describe manipulative people. People that, if you and I are not careful, uh, will end up crossing the boundaries in our life and taking advantage of you, your time, your money, your possessions. So we, we need to be wise when we deal with people. So the three things we're going to look at today are, again, these are la- you know recent labels. And the one is um, moving the goalposts. I'm a hockey fan, so that's the first one I picked. has nothing to do with hockey, by the way. It has everything to do with manipulative people. And it's a tactic. They move the goalposts. What's that mean? Second one is gaslighting. And then the third one, if we have time, is triangulation. And again, these are recent terms. But these are all things that are brought out because the man has not changed. These are all qualities that people demonstrate. Uh, you and I need to be aware of them so that we might not let people abuse us. So let's, get, let's bow to the Lord. Let's bow in prayer and ask for God to bless. And then we're going dra- to jump right into, uh, into this message. Father, thank you again for your word. And Father, your word tells us that we need to beware, uh, we need to mark, we need, there's certain people that can be, um, that can hinder our walk with you, and uh, Father, I'm so grateful that uh, history bears these things out over and over and over again, uh, and I'm so very grateful for our heritage, as I, I study of the, the Baptists in history that um, embrace firmly individual soul liberty fought for it. Some of them died. Many of them lost their belongings because of abusive people that did not know where to draw the lines. And I thank you for those saints of old that stood on the word of God and did not allow or worked very hard to to fight against this. And we ask your blessing today. Help us, Lord, to be aware of these tactics, these common tactics, and uh, so that you and I might uh, be given a good a good account, and we ask your blessing now in Jesus' precious name, Amen. So, First Corinthians chapter eight. Last Sunday we looked at Romans chapter fourteen, and we talked a little bit about individual soul liberty. You may remember that 
That is a, a Baptist distinctive down through the ages. It is a Bible distinctive, a very important one. Romans 14, Paul said, Him that is weak in the faith, receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. He said, One believeth that he made all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. And by the way, that was going on in that first century. You had this blend of Jew and Gentile who were both brought up in a totally different culture, religious atmosphere, one religious, one not. And then they were all put under the banner of the New Testament church. And because they all had all these things that were part of the the baggage and stuff that was part of their life, it created major conflict and A lot of that conflict that Paul addressed were unnecessary things, doubtful disputations. There were a lot of arguments and a lot of fights in that first century over things that God's people should not have separated over. One group would reject the other, the other would reject the other, and Paul's writing and saying, God receives you both. So we have to be very careful of that. In fact, um, one of the great Scripture text of individual soul liberty is Romans 14 and verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And then verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You and I have to realize that. Someday you and I are going to stand before God and we are going to have to answer, not for what they did, not for what they caused me to do, but what I did and how I responded. So now today we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and we see an application of that, of what Romans 14 was all about. This idea that was in that first century where you had the Gentiles who were coming in and then you had the Jews who would, many of them were trained that uh, there was certain meat that was offered unto idols and that was just a big no-no as a Jew. I mean, that was built into them since their early age, depending on the family, that you do not, you know, if there is something that was offered to an idol, that's like contaminated meat in their mind. And, And Paul's writing and saying, no, it's not. Because there's really no such thing. An idol is nothing. You know, it's small g. You know, we serve God. And, 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 you know, so he's, he's challenging them. And we're going to look at this in light of the first technique. Let me back up for a minute. What is the first technique that we're going to look at today that manipulative people do? It's called moving the goalposts. And basically it has to do with expectations, has to do with boundaries. Here's what it is. Some of you can relate. Do you ever play a game where the people that you were playing with knew the game better than you did? And you're playing the game, like board games. We love games as a family, uh, and every once in a while, you'll be playing a game that you're not familiar with, and all of a sudden, some of the people there, it's like they start changing the rules midway through the game, based on, you know, how they're doing. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You know, they're playing the game, and they're, oh, 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 here's a rule I forgot about. Oh, how convenient, you know. That's moving the goalposts. And there's people that do that in life. They do. You know, in other words, you're going along, there are certain 
understandings, and then all of a sudden they change where the boundaries are. They change the goalposts. To fit. It's, it's really a tool of manipulation. They've identified it. People do it. People who are manipulative will move the goalposts. They'll change the rules on the fly based on what's best for them. And it happens. So here we have in this... In fact, let me read to you a quote that I read last week from Dr. Uh, Robert Ketchum. And it was in, it's in a Baptist um, a GRBC uh, literature item. I don't think they print this one anymore, but it's a... Here's what he says. And I'll just quote part of it. He says, there is no one... Or It goes back to this point. Force has no role in anything at all that we want to accomplish. That's been true uh, when you study Baptist history. And, and Baptists are just people that have been labeled that uh, because they rebaptized their infants because of what the Bible said. And, um, and they became persecuted. They were called Anabaptists, which meant rebaptizers. It was a slander. Of course, Baptists didn't believe that first infant baptism counted. So they embraced the disdain and just, but they didn't call themselves Anabaptists because that would be like saying, yeah, we believe you have to be baptized twice. No, the first one doesn't count if you aren't a believer. So that's a little bit of history there. But Baptists historically have believed very firmly in individual soul liberty. We don't force our beliefs on anyone. And we've always been, historically, generally, we've been on the receiving end. Whether it's the government church or the church of the colony, thinking about American colonies, uh, where we have put in a position, hey, Roger Williams got kicked out of Massachusetts because he had some convictions and the state church wanted to force their beliefs on him. And so here's what Dr. Ketchum said. He said, There is no one which can in any wise interpose anything between a soul and its God. The individual must be left absolutely free to make his own decisions concerning God and all matters of faith. No man or combination of men on earth has any right to force him to alter those conclusions. That is individual soul liberty. And that's what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's pick up and look at verse 4. This is kind of an application of Romans 14, which we looked at last week. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is none other God but one. Look at verse 7. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. You see what he's saying? This is an issue that became divisive that people were taking sides on where God was not in the separation. God's like, you're squabbling over things that are based on your upbringing and your prejudices, and this is not something that, I'm, that you need to separate over. This is not something you need to squabble over. Doubtful disputations, Paul called it in Romans 14. Jason uh, gave me, or Jason told me about a book that has some awesome quotes 
And it's a book uh, by two men, Crowley and Nacelli, I think. And it's just called Conscience. I want you to listen to some quotes from this book because this is a key area for us. That it's, it's really a matter of where do you draw the line on what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. And the, the, the writer of one of the writers of this book said, We should expect disagreements with fellow Christians about third level matters. And we should learn to live with those differences. Now the, the New Testament church, the Jews and the Gentiles, they wouldn't have agreed with that right away. No, 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 no. They had a problem. He said, Christians don't always need to eliminate differences, but they should always seek to glorify God by loving each other in their differences. Understanding what the conscience is and how it works helps us do that. That's good. Knowing, you know, what, what are issues that we need to separate over and what are issues where we're being manipulative. You know, there were people, turn to Galatians chapter 2, talking about boundaries and goalposts. You know, there were people in Paul's day that were trying to cross over into Paul's property. Now, we're using boundaries here as a picture of, you know, what's my responsibility and what's not. There are physical boundaries There are emotional boundaries, there are spiritual boundaries, there are financial boundaries. You know, there's so many different boundaries where it's important for us to clarify, all right, what's inside of these boundaries is my responsibility. What is outside of these boundaries is not my responsibility. That's very important. And there were people in Paul's day that were trying to cross over into his business and get him to violate his boundaries. Look at Galatians chapter 2. And he gives some his, uh, background in verses 1 through 3. Pick up in verse 4, Galatians 2, 4. And that, because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Wow, these were people that were crossing the lines and trying to trip up Paul. That's the way he saw it. By the way, they probably had a different perspective. Us? No. Look what he says, though. I love this. Verse 5. To whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour. He's talking about boundaries, isn't he? He's saying there were people that were trying to come into our territory. We did not give them a place. We didn't let them cross over. We kept the boundaries. We didn't even, we didn't even give them space for one hour. Wow, I love that. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, unfortunately, Paul had boundaries. He didn't let these people cross over. Peter didn't do as well. In the next few verses, these people affected Peter so that he acted in a way that he should not have. In fact, look at, um, well, if you look at Galatians 2, verses 11 through 12, basically Peter allowed the goalpost to be moved. And Paul had to end up rebuking him. I love the way this book on the conscience addresses this example. And he says this, 
in Antioch, when even Peter wilted under the pressure of the pork police from Jerusalem. I love that. The pork police. In Antioch, when even Peter wilted under the pressure of the pork police from Jerusalem, Paul, quote-unquote, opposed him to his face because he knew that the gospel was at stake. Galatians 2, 11-14. And he says, you need wisdom to discern the difference between one... And here's, this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the verse we read, is talking about. We need wisdom um, to discern or know the difference between weak and wavering believers to whom we must flex versus controlling people who want to force their will on us. That's where, you know, Paul's talking about that. And Paul, there were people that were trying to get Paul to act a certain way that God did not want him to act, and they're putting pressure so much so that it affected Peter. Gopos. In fact, a good summary of, of that First Corinthians 8 text is also in this book on the conscience. And the, the writer says, We must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. But we must always consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. You see that balance? Never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. But we always have to consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. That's a perfect balance of what Paul was teaching. So you know what you, know what you and I need to do? We need to set our own goalposts before somebody else sets them for us. We need to set them. We need to, to mark out. Good example. There's a, and a, a turn to First Peter chapter 4. There's this term in the New Testament that's used three or four times. Peter uses it in the text of 1 Peter chapter 4. Paul warned against it in, in his epistle to the Thessalonians and, in, and his epistle to Timothy. And it's this term, very interesting, and it describes manipulative people with an interesting phrase. Busy bodies in other men's matters. At least three times, maybe four, in the New Testament, Paul and Peter talk about this category of people. I want you to look at the one example in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. We're just going to focus on this one. There's a couple different people that um, we, we need to avoid becoming. So 1 Peter 4, 15, Peter says, Let none of you suffer as... Then he lists some things. And then one of them is... Don't, don't let any of you suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. Now, you know, this, the Greek, it's a very interesting Greek word that is used. It's actually a compound word, two Greek words put together. And one of the root words is the word that's used for bishop, a pastor. You say, I knew it. Pastors are all busybodies. No, that's not the idea. The word bishop is an overseer, okay? And, uh, and there is a legitimate context for that. A pastor, a bishop of a church is an overseer of the spiritual matters. But this is not used in that context. Peter uses this word, 
A busybody, in other words, it's a, it's a, a bishop or an overseer of other people's business. That's what a busybody is, literally, in the Greek. It's somebody who is a self-appointed bishop or an overseer over your life. You and I have to be careful of that. There's going to be people. In fact, uh, one commentator from the 19th century, that's the 1800s. He's talking about this bishops of other men's matters, this term. He says it denotes those prying and self-important people who fancy they can set everything to rights and that everybody they come across is under their personal jurisdiction. You know people like that? Where everything in their life is under their jurisdiction. They'll tell you how to run your life, even when they can't run their own. Uh, Albert Barnes, another commentator, said this of this phrase, these busybodies. It's one who busies himself with what does not concern him. That is, one who pries into the affairs of another who attempts to control or direct them as if they were his own. That's manipulative people. That's people you and I need to watch out for. Toxic people. You know a good challenge in that context is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11. Real quickly, Paul says this to the Thessalonians. And it's another interesting phrase in the Greek. He says, I want you to study to be quiet. Two Greek terms there. To study to be quiet. And it's actually in the Greek, you wouldn't know this in the English, in the Greek it's it's an oxymoron. In other words, combining words of contrary meaning in order to give force to the point. So the term, you know, to study has the idea of put a lot of work, put a lot of effort into it. And then the next word, to be quiet, is like the opposite. It's like he's saying, work very hard to not work very hard on other people's business. That's the idea. Put a lot of energy, a lot of hard work into not being involved in other people's business. Very important point. And then he, he finishes that, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. That's the New Testament saying we need to mind our own business. you know that's a scripture? Do your own business. If somebody ever, if you sense one of these people in your life and they're trying to, they're trying to like invade your property, your space, and get you to do things that they don't have the authority or the right to do, you can say, I would like to quote 1 Thessalonians 4.11, mind your own business. <laughs> what? That's in the Bible? Yeah, it really is. It's saying that. Uh, the Bible's so replete with examples. Real quickly, one that comes to mind is in Numbers chapter 16, verses 2 through 7. You've got Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Remember that? And they felt like Moses and Aaron were taking on too much. And... and it seems that there was envy and jealousy. And so they rebelled against them. And they accused Moses and Aaron of taking too much responsibility. They wanted some of it. Now, there's a whole dramatic story there. But it's interesting because first they accused Moses and Aaron of, you take too much on you. And then when God brought down and judged everyone, Moses said, no, you know what the real point is? You take too much on you. Moses had property lines. He had boundaries. 
And he said, no, we're not giving in. This is our responsibility. It's not yours. That brings us into, and we're probably just going to have time for gaslighting. Uh, There's a great example of triangulation, which I don't think we're going to get to today. And I'm not going to spend a whole message next week on it. Um, It's in Galatians. Somewhere down the road, it'll come out in another message. But let's talk about gaslighting. It's a, it's a common or a, a modern term. It is not found in your Bible. So if you're going to look up in your concordance for gaslighting, you're not going to find it. Unless there's some modern version that tries to insert it in there. They didn't talk about that in the first century. But here's what gaslighting is. And by the way, it comes from a play that came out in 1938. And I did not see that play. Uh, apparently... In the play, there was a manipulative person, and this is what they did. And gaslighting is basically, it's a, it's a manipulation tactic, and it basically is a way that people who want to manipulate you um, basically nullify your perspective. In fact, one, one source said, gaslighting is a manipulative tactic that can be described in different variations of three words. That didn't happen. You imagined it. Or are you crazy? See, when somebody gaslights, they are going to get you to challenge your own reality. And it is a way to disarm them, the other person, from accusing them or making them responsible. Very interesting. In fact, the more I studied this, the more I realized, you know what? This whole idea of gaslighting, you know what? It's going on in our country in a major way. You know what it's called? Cancel culture. That's exactly what it is. Things that we know are truth based on the word of God. People are now in one fell swoop saying, uh, they're just canceling that. Like, your opinion doesn't matter. That's gaslighting. Isn't that interesting? So, it goes on. It often... Gaslighting often occurs in abusive relationships. The bully or abuser misleads the target, creating the false narrative and making them question their judgments in reality. By the way, because of this tendency, God emphasizes the fact, in fact, Proverbs 11 and verse 14 says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's why there's a Matthew 18. Remember Jesus said, if you have a problem with someone, go and tell him between you and him. If he will hear thee, you've gained a brother. But the implication is, not everybody's going to listen to sound reasoning. So you've got to bring someone else in. And then they hear it. And then there's another opportunity. If he will hear them. But there's some people that are so stubborn that you have to bring it before the church, and the whole church sees it, but they don't. Hopefully they'll hear it, but there's going to be some folks, there are going to be some people that live in their own reality. And in their mind, whatever your perspective is doesn't count because they've rejected wise counsel. You know, if you want to live... In your own fantasy world, go for it. But I will not join you in your delusion. 
That's the challenge. You and I have to, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be like, you'll say this and, you, and they'll be like, oh, no, 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 it didn't. It's interesting. Do you know there's a time in Israel uh, when Israel tried to gaslight God? Do you know that? Malachi. Let me give an example, a couple examples. In Malachi. Now, do you don't understand what gaslighting is. It, it, it would be like God saying, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what you do. And it'd be like Israel saying, what? What are you talking about? It's exactly what happened in Malachi. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, O priests, you despise my name. And they say, wherein have we despised thy name? That's gaslighting. You know, God is accusing Israel, the priests, of despising his name. And they're trying to tell God, what are you talking about? We don't despise your name. Can you imagine that? And then in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, you, you offer polluted bread upon my altar. And their response, wherein have we polluted thee? They, didn't, they, they rejected the narrative. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. God says, you've wearied me with your words. Their response, wherein have we wearied thee? That's gaslighting. It's, they're rejecting the narrative that comes from God. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, you have robbed me. And what did Israel say? How have we robbed you? So folks, this has been going on for centuries. Where people will reject truth and reality. Which is fine until it starts affecting you and me. And they want to justify themselves. And by the way, this is a tool that manipulative people will use that you and I have to be very wary of. So finally, to, to skip the tri- uh, triangulation one, what do we do with manipulative people? Um, here's the challenge. And this is something that, uh, that I was so helped by one book that the, the whole book could be summarized, for me at least, in this last quote, and it is, you and I cannot change other people. But we can and we must Change ourselves so their destructive patterns no longer work on us. Isn't that profound? I want to read that again because that, and I'm still learning that. But you and I cannot change people. So what we have to do is we have to change ourselves so their destructive patterns don't work on us. And so I close this with a quote from somebody that I used to, repudiate because of my upbringing I guess you know when you study church history you have to be very careful there's a major denomination that claims a lot of historical church fathers as their church fathers for example a hundred years before John Wycliffe and Wycliffe uh, you know he was one of the early reformers uh, so this is about 100 years before him. There was a, a man by the name of Giovanni de Pietro di Bernadone, something like that. He, he went by a different name. And as soon as I say the quote, you'll know who I'm talking about. And because of who he was, I used to reject this. But the more I think about it, first of all, there were a lot of born-again believers in the early church that were living under the banner of a government church 
that would have been our brothers and sisters, like John Wycliffe. This priest said this, this minister said this. And it's actually a prayer. It's a prayer I used to reject. It's actually a good prayer. Lord, grant me the serenity. Ah, you know where I'm heading, don't you? Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Whoa. That'll preach right there. You know, there are things you and I cannot change. Can't change others. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Wow. All right, I'm not rejecting that quote anymore. That's a good quote. And we need that. You know, that that says it all. So... There will be people in your life. And by the way, remember this, that just like Dr. George Wendell said in, from, from Maranatha Tabernacle in Darby, I must see every person and every circumstance that comes into my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me through that person or through that circumstance to make me more like Jesus Christ. So God has them in your life for a reason. And, and we can't change everyone, but we can change the way they affect us. So beware the toxic people in your life. May God help us to set boundaries and to understand that they might live in their own fantasy world and, and that's okay. But again, we will not enter into their delusion if they are indeed deluded. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so grateful for people that study people. So grateful for the extensive studies that have been done. And uh, Father, I pray, knowing that sometimes it can be a challenge having certain people in our lives that, uh, Lord, like like Paul's thorn in the flesh, if we had our way, (laughs) you would just take them out of our life. But for some reason... Uh, For your reason, you allow them in our lives, at least temporarily sometimes. So, Lord, help us to grow. And uh, and help us, Father, to, to understand the safety of the multitude of counselors. Help us to be willing to examine ourselves. And to see, Lord, are, are we crossing the lines? Are we uh, manipulative in a way that could be causing someone else grief? Father, I pray for wisdom so that we might glorify you in our relationships. And we'll thank you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.